Are you ready? Ready to go. All right, you ready? Go ahead. Coming to you from deep within our dark but luxurious studios, I'm Jay Ward, joined by our producer, Matt Strauss. And I'm Wayne Carini, and we're talking classic cars. That's right, and I cannot wait to get into it today. But before we do, let's just talk a real quick second about our guest today. So we're talking to Bob Scanlon, who's a great TV analyst as well as a producer and one of the original founders of Speed Vision. And we're going to be talking to him about something that's really cool. Cannot wait to get into it. But before we do, let's start with a little bit of break chatter. Wayne, what's happening this week that we're talking about? Well, I think one of the big things is, is that Ford has uh, just made the announcement that they're going to have a super truck uh, made out of the Lightning. So it's going to be sort of a road race truck, off-road. I think you're, you're going to get it in many different capabilities. But, um, you know, after they, Ford really did something with the aluminum body trucks. They brought the aluminum body truck out first. And then, of course, when they put the batteries in and made the Lightning uh, with an electric car, they're saving all that weight where other manufacturers are going to have to redesign and, and rebuild the car with all aluminum too to save the weight. So I, I think they, they thought this out maybe a little bit before everybody else did. Yeah, For, Ford's kind of had some great hits and some great misses lately. You know, the last few years with supply chain issues, chip issues, Ford left what they said was almost $2 billion on the table in sales because of supply chain issues where they just couldn't make the vehicles they needed to. So now uh, Jim Farley is saying, hey, we're posed for a comeback. We know what we missed out on. We've got our path clearly for electrification. So I'm excited about it. If you've driven a Lightning out there, folks, uh, let us know because I drove one and I've never been in an F-150 that goes zero to 60 in four seconds. And that was shocking how fast that truck was. Um, I haven't been able to drive one yet, so I can't wait uh, for that opportunity. You know, uh, it's the number one selling vehicle in the country. So, uh, you know, or, or the world, I guess. Um, F-150 so is, yeah. F F-150. So I think it's going to be a really great truck. And, and of course, all they got to do now is get that range up to about four or 500 miles and it'll, it'll all work out. Yeah, you nailed it. The problem with the Lightning right now is uh, what, as soon as you hook up a trailer and start pulling some weight, that range goes down significantly. And Ford knows that. They've got to get better about that. The exciting thing is the trailer manufacturers like Airstream and a lot of other brands are now adding batteries to the trailers to help regen regenerate the battery system in the truck and send power back to the truck. So there's a lot of things I think we're going to see this whole format change over the next few years to make it, you know, all all work together. Every time I see a, a lightning uh, advertisement, it's with a horse trailer on the back, and that's for a reason. That way there, when the battery runs out, at least you got the horses so you can continue your trip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we just came out of a lot of great auctions happening down in Scottsdale, and the numbers people were thinking might be doomsday, but it, they weren't. There was actually quite a few strong numbers. Would you not agree? I think there was a lot of strong numbers and in, in, in general, the market is really strong and that's really the, the focal point. And everybody looks to Scottsdale and Mika Monica Semi to really focus on where the market's going during the year. I think we're off to a good start. Yeah. And in other news, you know, we like to have uh, Ray Evernham join us for racing news, which we'll have him on a future episode. But really quick in the world of F1, we had a couple car reveals this week. First was Haas and then there was Red Bull. The bigger news is that Ford is coming back into Formula One to partner with Red Bull starting, I think, in 2026. And that is huge news. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And I think, and I, and I, I can't say because I'm not part of Ford, but I think Jim Farley had a lot to do with that. Jim is such a racer himself. Um, and that's another thing. I mean, he's, 
he's going to become a professional race driver now. And and didn't he didn't he run at, at uh, Daytona? Yeah, he did run at Daytona. And this is the crazy thing. When you look at people say, well, Ford, what are they doing in Formula One? They are the third most um, championship motor in Formula One behind uh, Ferrari and Mercedes. Ford had tons of wins back in the Benetton years and all that. So they've been around. This is not new territory for them. They're excited. And I think there's still hope for Andretti and Cadillac to get in the pool too. So many great days to come uh, in racing with these American companies getting back involved in Formula One. All right. Well, that's enough of break chatter. Wayne, who do we have coming up on the show? Got a great guest today. Uh, Bob Scanlon's with us. So I can't wait. Let's uh, take a break and we'll be coming back with Bob Scanlon. So uh, I'm here to really make a great announcement today. Um, I'm part of, of course, an owner of Wayne Carini's The Chase Magazine, which became uh, uh, a great magazine with a collaboration of Russ Rocknack and myself and many others. Uh, we have some great writers, Ed Welburn, Bill Warner, Judy Stropis, and we're here to announce that Jay Ward is now our West Coast editor of The Chase Magazine. Uh, thanks, Wayne. I'm excited to be part of it. I've, I've written a couple little bits for you guys here and there, but this is the first time that I'm really diving in to be part of the magazine, and I can't wait. As West Coast editor, I'll be able to share a lot of the stories happening in California and along the Pacific Coast for you guys that are out on the east side. Great. I can't wait to read those articles and see the photographs. Uh, so welcome to the magazine, and people can pick that magazine up at thechasemagazine.com. So, Jay, I want to introduce you to Bob Scanlon. I know that you know him a little bit. Bob has been uh, the impetus for automotive television um, since the beginning of automotive television. Um, you know, we always watched uh, car races and did all the things, but but to have TV shows just related to automobiles and, and so many different things from motorcycles to race cars to, to uh, restoring cars and chasing classic cars. Um, so... Ladies and gentlemen, and Jay, Bob Scanlon. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Wayne. Good to see you. Jay, it's been a while. Good to see you again, too. Yeah, welcome to the show. Um, You know, Wayne's really saying something that's important, I think, for people to think about. If you go back not that long ago, there was not a dedicated place for gearheads, for automotive people. There was not a dedicated network space when we were all growing up. Um, you know, you'd watch maybe NASCAR on ABC or you'd watch this here, that there. And there, as a gearhead, you sort of felt like you weren't a baseball guy or a football guy. You didn't really have your place to go. We sort of had to find it where we could find it. For me, it was the Sunday classifieds looking at old cars, <laughs> maybe watching, you know, a TV show here and there. And it was infancy days of the internet as well. So it just wasn't a lot of places. And I, I guess just first of all, I just want to ask you, how did the idea come together of having a dedicated channel or space that was automotive or, you know, vehicle themed? Well, it came about, I mean, my, my quick history is, uh, out of grad school, I, I started a job with home box office back in the mid seventies. And that was all, you know, new distribution by satellite. Fast forward a couple of years, ABC sports and news were looking for someone who had some satellite expertise and having been at HBO and satellite, even though it was a completely different animal for what they were looking for, I went to work for ABC in uh, network operations. And so my, my first assignment 
after a week was to this race in Atlanta called the Atlanta, Atlanta Journal 500. And it was a NASCAR race. And even those days, to your point, Jay, it was on wide world of sports, but the race coverage was basically two or three minute cut-ins during the race. And then they'd go back to skiing or whatever else they were doing, barrel jumping. Right. And then we'd come back yeah. for like the last 25 or 30 laps. And that was about all you could get at that time until 79 with the Daytona 500, of course. So, um, a couple of, uh, couple of years later, I went to ESPN. I was one of the first 35 people hired there and I took control of motorsports. So in those days that was mostly NASCAR. And if you remember, ESPN was really responsible for making NASCAR kind of a mainstay in sports television. So I was responsible for NASCAR, IndyCar, and even Formula One. So what we realized uh, myself and a couple of other ESPN execs realized that there's this whole segment of the population that just loves this car stuff. And that's when we went in 95 and created the first version of Speed Vision, which was, you know, essentially anything with an engine. So it was cars, boats, aircraft, and motorcycles. And that took off. Um, the quick history is it was sold to Fox in 2001. Fox made it Speed Channel. Fox then sunsetted Speed Channel and um, made it Fox Sports 1. So that was that was the quick history, at least in terms of how it all started. Yeah. So, so, so Bob, you now that's all transitioned and, and you're part of that, but yet uh, what happened after it was sunsetted? What, what did you do? So when it was sunsetted, I, I left Speed Vision. I did a year at the NFL Network launching that with another former ES, ESPN exec. And uh, then I got hired as a consultant at Discovery Communications for a channel that they had called HD Theater, which was really, to John Hendricks' credit, it was the first foray of a 24-7 channel in high-definition television. And so the genius of that move was that in, in the agreements with cable and satellite operators, he put the money into creating high-definition television so that they could upsell high-definition boxes and systems and TVs. But the, the, the caveat was whatever those operators sold a TV, HDTV box or installed one, HD theater had to be on the basic service. Uh -huh. So when I came in, by that time, every network had their own HD version, right? So there was Discovery, Discovery HD, TLC, and so on. So the value equation to the cable operators was declining. So they wanted me to rebrand it. So we did some research, uh, came up with the velocity name. We learned very quickly. We went out initially male targeted, so pretty broad. And the audience told us really quickly, look, you want to see the car stuff. So we created velocity in 2011. And um, by, we, we started in 2011. I think we had about 20 million homes on the service. And by 2017, we were in 72 million homes. So it was clear, right? People wanted it. The, the, the financials worked because the network was free to operators. They didn't have to pay for it. And it still made a really nice amount of money just from advertising. And it was operating on a great margin. So 
that was velocity. That's now transitioned to motor trend. Um, I left motor trend and then kept my eye, Wayne, on the speed vision trademark that Fox yeah. had let go fallow, right? And it, and it became dead. So went out and applied for that, found a partner. We went out and raised some seed money. And as you know, Rain, there are some really smart investors <laughs> in speed vision. And uh, so we've launched now. We're on fast platforms and, you know, the growth has been great. But we're super serving. Once again, we've come back to super serving the uh, J Wards of the world who just want a purist presentation for car enthusiasts. Yeah. I want to go back for a second to Velocity because something you guys did there that I think had not been done before was it was really thinking about the automotive community, both in terms of sport and also of culture. Yes. And for me, it was the first time that automotive culture with things like you know Monster Garage and these kind of shows began to um, celebrate automotive culture and subcultures, right? There's hot rodders, there's muscle car people, there's, you know, Concordelegons people, and they're, they're different people. There's commonalities, but I think that was the first time I ever saw those groups celebrated. So you could watch racing on Sunday, but you could watch somebody who you like building a car on Monday or Tuesday. And how did, how did that come about that idea of serving more than just capturing motorsport, but really capturing automotive culture? And how did you go about that? Well, the, the idea of culture, and you guys can appreciate this, right, is that in the automotive culture, as a global culture, right, a beautiful car is beautiful in virtually every culture. And that doesn't hold true for fashion. It doesn't even hold true for people's appearances, right? Someone in, a, in one culture thinks... A woman or a man that looks like this is handsome or beautiful doesn't necessarily transcend to other cultures. But a beautiful Delahaye is beautiful to everyone who appreciates a vehicle. And so that was kind of the baseline and the thread where we realized, look, there are these subcultures. And as you said, there's hot rods, there's dragsters. There's resto mods, there's classics, there's pre-war, post-war, brass, there, all of those things. And those kind of, we realized there were silos of people that love that, just like there are still silos of people who love Ford, people who love Chevy and so on by brand. So we realized that those cultures based on types of vehicles transcended for, I shouldn't say transcend, they, they allowed us to focus in a category where we could super serve the niche of a niche. But the beauty of it was, Jay, that in that you could go, and you know this, if you go to a car show, there's a section of hot rods and there could be a section of uh, Lamborghinis, but you'll see the crowd migrate to both. And there's an appreciation for both. There's, there's none of this, I'm just a hot rod guy, or I'm just, you know, a brass car guy. So. That's, that was, that was the impetus behind creating those shows. And then the other was the genius of design, right? So you could have kind of classic design. We had a series on the original speed vision called victory by design, but when we got to velocity, people like Chip Foose, right? People like Mark Oya, people like Dave Kindig, who were these really skilled designers but had different expertise and different styles, but you could still appreciate it. So it's just like, you know, 
classic painters who had different styles and stuff. But if you go to a museum and, you know, and look at different paintings, there's an appreciation for all of it and the different skills that they have. So that's what we realized. And, and it was very successful. We were able, you know, we were able to focus on those categories, but we were able to promote across those different genres of, of enthusiasts and attract the hot riders to watch the show about rest of mods and so on. Yeah. I, I think that, um, we, what you did is, is allow people to celebrate everything about automobiles and, and motorcycles and anything with an engine. And, yes. and we, and because I was part of that, I feel that we educated people and, and people say to me still today, I learned so much from what you do and, and you learn so much from other shows. I mean, you know, every show is a little bit different too. And I think that that's what was really unique about Velocity is that there was so many different shows. Each one was unique, but each one was as interesting as the next. And, yeah. and that, that really, that really did a great job and, and you're, you should be celebrated for that to, to start with Speed Vision, which was fantastic. Um, uh, I know one of my favorite shows or a couple of shows were, was with Elan Decadne. He educated me. I mean, he taught me yes. and, and, you know, people say, oh, you know, so much about, stuff. I said, now I can learn things every day and I, and I'm, you know, I anxiously, you know, learn things every day, but I think that that's what people really enjoyed so much about, um, speed vision as well as, uh, velocity. And they, they knew that they could turn the TV on and get a really great produced show. Everything was done so well. And, and you, you've got the eye and the knowledge to bring all that stuff together. And, and that's what I'm so excited about to be part of speed vision. I'm one of the partners in speed vision and I, I'm so excited because we, we know we've got a great guy steering, um, steering the ship and, well, and with, yeah. with super knowledge and you've done such a great job in the past. I know it's just going to be better this time, even better than before. Yeah. Thank you. Anne. It's very kind. And, and you know, uh, the, the beauty of what you bring to TV and to this audience is twofold, right? One was that chasing classic cars was about, you know, the excitement of the hunt, right? What are you going to find? Like what's, what's inside that Christmas package, right? Yep. So it was that. But then it also expanded to uh, education about, okay, here's this dust covered thing I'm pulling out and, and, and the audience could live through the restoration of that car, uncovering the history of that car, the significance of that car. And then ultimately what's it worth? So you ticked a bunch of boxes with that series, which is why I think it was so successful for 20 years is it, it encapsulated all of that kind of information where um, what what we call co-viewing, right? Which is where you get an audience that is not just male. Velocity was like 40% female. And a lot of that credit goes to what you did because the hunt and what's going to be inside when you open that garage door appealed to an entire family. So it was heavy co-viewing. And then by extension, people could learn about the history of the vehicle, why it's significant, and ultimately, what's this thing really worth in the market? So, you know, kudos to you for your expertise and for the way you come across. You know, you 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 are the guy who passes what I call the beer test, right? So when we would get 
submissions for shows and talent. We'd watch and listen and stuff and then ask the question, would I sit down and have a beer with that guy or girl? And if the answer was yes, that was a huge hurdle. And, right. you know, you clearly passed that with flying colors. So kudos to you too, Wayne. I mean, thank you. Know. Thank you. But in, in, in Jim Ostrowski came up with the idea for the show and he contacted me and, and it, it was so simple. Um, and we thought maybe we'd get one or two seasons out of it. And, and, uh, 20 years later we were still doing it and, 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 um, we're really proud of the show and, and what it, what it had done. And, but to be part of what you bring to the table, I think that that's the most important thing. Um, I know that uh, Jay is involved, of course, with the Cars uh, movies, you know, and that brand. And uh, talk about another um, brand and, and um, entertainment um, engine that drives us all to enjoy. I mean, people of all ages watch that animation. It's amazing. I've heard the Lightning McQueen is more popular than the Pope. That's that's yes. what, that's well, what I've heard. I, I, I can believe that. I can believe that. I don't know if that's Right true. after me, though. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. It goes Wayne Kearney, Lightning McQueen, then the Pope. Um, Bob, I, w I was going to ask you a question. As, as you know, as we move forward, the, the the landscape of entertainment continues to change. You know, it it does for us in terms of people going to theater versus watching streaming network. For you, you saw the transition from dedicated cable to streaming network. How people get their content. The other thing that's interesting to me, I'd love to get your thoughts on, is you know, I've been a Formula One fan since. 2000, I don't know, early days. You were even earlier than me into Formula One. And it really had almost no impact in the United States until Drive to Survive came out. And I, I hate to say that TV show changed it, but it did. Um, oh. You know, we, we had a race in Austin and I used to go and ask for a media credential and they'd say, how many do you want? And <laughs> last year I applied and they didn't even respond to me. Um, <laughs> and now we have a race in Miami and one coming up in Vegas. So who would have, you and the us talking... Five years ago, if I said, we're going to have three Formula One races in the U.S., you guys would have said, you're crazy. Yeah. And so when I look at Drive to Survive, my question to you is, you know, how do these sort of TV shows, these content ideas that make the the drivers or the personalities in racing more human, these now play an integral part in, in making people be interested. And like you said, male and female and young and old be interested in the actual sport. How do you see that evolving? What, what other motorsports do you see could benefit from something like that? Well, I think... I think the key to it was what what we've always tried to do uh, in, in in our televising this automotive stuff was to grant inside access to the audience that they wouldn't get anywhere else, right? And that's what Drive to Survive did. I mean, you know, it, it's very difficult when, you know, for the general public, if they see a Formula One race, it's television just can't convey the speed, relative speed, but more importantly, the physical forces on those drivers, right? I mean, there was there was a, a special that was done where Jeff Gordon got into an F1 car uh, in, in uh, Indianapolis for the first time ever. And this is when he was an active driver, right? He was a NASCAR champion and he got out of the car saying he was getting lightheaded from the force, the G-forces of braking at the end of the front stretch because it was so strenuous on them. And I think that's a big part of it, right? The, the, the look behind the curtain was like, what do these guys go through? Like, what is the schedule like? Talk about the teams and 
those cars have to be built from scratch, which a lot of people didn't know, right? It's like, you can't go buy one off the shelf. You have to build it, every aspect of it. And so that puts it at the pinnacle, I think, of automotive engineering for one thing. But, you know, the other thing we tried to do back in the ESPN days, when, when we first were putting cameras in cars, right? And then we were able to listen and monitor drivers talking to spotters and added that and just keep trying to put the viewer like it, as close to the experience as you can. But even with all that, we'd still get, you know, reactions from marginal viewers saying, oh, they're just driving around in circles. It's like, well, okay, but at 200 miles an hour, three inches from 39 of your closest friends for two and a half hours, right? With G-forces and everything else. And so I think that's part of the biggest challenge to still get across to viewers is what it entails, not only on the drivers, but just on the lives of people in the sports, right? The schedules, the grueling schedules, the travel, time away, the danger, all of that. So I think, look, I think there's a lot more opportunity to give access behind the curtain. And some of the sanctioned bodies have been resistant to that somewhat, but I think they're starting to open up. Certainly, Drive to Survive opened that curtain whether I think there's a bunch of scrambling, frankly, going on saying, why aren't we doing this? Yes. I, I've heard a lot of people say, we need the Drive to Survive for Indy or the Drive to Survive for, F, you know, for, for yes. you know, NASCAR, whatever. And, and you're right. I think the other big component of it is the driver's personalities to the point where people, everybody needs a good guy and a bad guy, right? And in yes. NASCAR, it was always Kozlowski or the Bush brothers, you know, I hate those guys. You know, you need good guys and villains in racing. And I think that show also helped develop that for drivers where you saw this person's kind of a jerk or this person's a, a sweet person that just never got a shot, you know, right. those kind of things. And that's important too. Yeah. Yep. Again, that's that behind the curtain. Jay, you took some of that and, and used it in the Cars movies where you had a villain, you had the good guy driver, Lightning McQueen was the good guy. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was used so well there. You know, uh, you were talking about um, getting to know um, a little bit more when you go to a live race than you see it on television. So I, I watched NASCAR on TV for a bunch of years, and I finally had the opportunity to go to a Bush Clash uh, event down at Daytona. And Dale Earnhardt was was driving at that point. He was still with us. And sure. and I sat up in the stands and I watched that race. And I, I became an instant NASCAR fan because I was looking live and seeing these guys going 200 miles an hour touching and banging into each other. I said, how, who does that? How can they do that? You know, and, and all of a sudden you, you gain a whole different respect for the people that are in those automobiles and the teams. So, uh, seeing it live. And then of course, you know, being there and, and the whole, the whole aspect of it was just so good. I became a, a NASCAR fan. I still am today. Yeah. Well, that's one of the tricks that I used to use when we get some reluctant either executives or advertisers, you know, about advertising on the network. And I would take them to a race and take yeah. them down and stand them next to the fence. <laughs> and I, it never failed to convert. Never. It never failed. Just like you, Wayne. And I, I will say one of, one of the greatest sensory experiences of my life, and I never got tired of it, was standing on the roof at Daytona, up where the cameras are. And at the start of either, you know, one of the 125s or the clash, by the second lap, as they came down the backstretch, 
which was far away. And all of those exhaust pipes aimed back at the stands. It's the most indescribable sound you'll ever hear. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. Well, just like going to a Formula One race or anything. I mean, there's so many, it's so visceral. There's so many different aspects of it rather than just watching the cars. It's the noise. It's like going to a drag race and listening to the dragster take off and that force of thousands of horsepower as it vibrates and, it, and your chest is rumbling exactly. you know, from, yeah. from the sound waves, you know? So Bob, we're moving forward with Speed Vision. This is so exciting. Um, it's, it's, it's launched and we're starting off. Uh, tell us a little bit about the future of Speed Vision. Well, currently we're, we're launching as a, what's known as a fast platform. That's free ad supported television. And so the distributors, the big distributors for that, uh, are Pluto, Roku, Samsung. And then we, we are currently on 11 of those platforms. So we're on Plex, Redbox. Uh, you can go to speedvisionnetwork.com if you want to know how to watch. And there's a link there to say where to watch, but we're rolling out. We're very excited, uh, to say that we're, we're launching on Fubo TV in the next two weeks. And we have also got an agreement to launch on Amazon. So Amazon Freevee, Amazon Fire, and Amazon Prime in March. So those are two big wins for us. And we're still, you know, we're still talking about trying to get some kind of traditional linear distribution because in spite of all the, the, the rumors of, you know, that cable is dead, it's not dead. It's still a right. very viable business. It's still a monetizable business. It's the biggest marketing megaphone you can get right now in television. So I would, uh, I'm working hard to try to get some kind of linear distribution as well, but we'll continue to roll this out. Uh, we're adding more and more programming as we go. You'll see uh, two wheel Tuesday with motorcycle programming pop up two weeks from now. We've got wings on Wednesday, which is aviation. It's a bit of a nod back to the original speed vision to see how aviation does. Um, you know, we'll, we'll carry your podcast, uh, that, that we're doing today and others that you guys do. There's one with Chris Jacobs called zero to 60. That's a sit down. So we're expanding more and more with the breadth of, of content and you know, when the next round of fundraise comes around with some investment and stuff, we'll be off to the races. So pun intended, but we're very excited. I couldn't be more thrilled, Wayne, to have you as part of this. So Bob, uh, just give us a little taste as to who is going to be part of this new network. Uh, I know that we've got a lot of old friends coming back and, and helping us out. So uh, who are some of those people? Well, there's uh, Mark Warman, the madman from the West Coast, the mad Mopar man, uh, with his Graveyard Car series, Stacy David, with his Gears series, uh, is part of it, and Bill Goldberg, the uh, the professional wrestler who is a huge car enthusiast, is part of the team as well. Uh, we're going to be developing a series with Bill, where his aspiration is something that gives back, so making some dreams come true for uh, you know for individuals, kids people with disabilities, just helping them get to whether it's, you know, a, a vehicle that allows a handicapped driver to drive or someone that wants to meet Richard Petty or Mario Andretti or Jeff Gordon, but making those kinds of things happen. So 
you know, Bill's Bill's a great asset. He has been incredibly supportive of what we're doing. He's uh, he's just built a fifteen thousand square foot garage at his ranch in Texas, and he's uh, he's building in a studio like the one you have, Wayne. So he'll be he'll be popping up as well as part of this whole video podcast thing, which I think is a great franchise for Speed Vision. Yeah. To be able to have different people share different aspects of their enthusiasm and what they like. Jay, to your point about, you've got, you know, we'll give the horror guys a shot. We'll give, you know, the rest of my guys a shot and so on to to feed that passion that this audience has. It's a wonderful brand. Uh, I'm w- working on three different shows now uh, myself. Um, we've got this podcast with Jay, which we love doing. Jay and I are such good friends and, and, uh, we enjoy each other's company and that's, that's what the whole thing is about. You know, in the automotive world, no matter what type of car it is or what, um, racing you enjoy, um, you get to like everyone. If it's got two wheels or three wheels or four wheels, whatever the amount of wheels with an engine, uh, we're there. And, and I think that that's really the, the focus of, of what we're doing. And we may be looking at uh, new new adventures, uh, electric car racing. So the EV racing uh, world, you know, that's that's coming up, and they really don't have a platform for broadcasting that. So you know, that's something that we could look into too. So you know, just just the changing landscape, and um, or this new adventure is willing to to change with that landscape. And I think that that's really a something we're looking forward to. We are too. We are too. Well, Bob, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you a question. You have experienced a lot of motorsport all around the world. You've seen a lot of things. When you think of bucket list, I want you to think about two things for me. First of all, the event that you're like, everybody in the world has to go to blank at least once. And then I'd like to hear the event that you have not ever been to that you're like, it is still on your bucket list to do blank someday. Those two things. Um, I think... I think the one that I would recommend people go to, because it, it's relatively attainable, right, is um, the Indy 500. I mean, it's, you know, IndyCar is on a resurgence. It's back. There's great crowds. And again, that that experience of 33 cars coming, coming down, you know, those straightaways is unforgettable. It's It's really, it's a remarkable experience. So that the bucket list for me would be the Isle of Man TT, and we um, we've covered it. We we carried it on Velocity. Uh, I'm I'm trying to do a deal to get it on Speed Vision this year. But for those that don't know, the Isle of Man, and you can look it up, uh, M A N single N, is a motorcycle road race on the British Isle of Man on country roads. And one lap is 39 miles. And these are all riders who pretty much only do these kind of tourist trophy events. And it is the most thrilling, breathtaking event you can imagine. We're on these two-lane roads that go from the center of town with stone walls on both sides, no safety barriers. And these bikes go 200 miles an hour. It's insane. And it's so thrilling. That's my bucket list. I want to get to an Isle of Man at some point. Well, I'm with you. Uh, I'm just waiting for my grandson to get a little older so he can appreciate it. And I think we should all go together and, and enjoy that same thing. That's it's, a great it, idea. It, it, it's an unbelievable th- uh, thing to watch on television. Um, 
sometimes uh, I go to YouTube and that's all I watch at night is I, yeah. I watch old Isle of Man races. Yeah. Yeah. These guys just, they have the nerves of steel. I mean, other, other people are, they're tied into their automobiles, you know, with straps, with seatbelts and stuff. These guys are just hanging on for dear life. Yep. And, and unfortunately, there's lives that are lost there, too. But, but you have to be a special person, and, and that's one of my bucket list things, too. One more question I wanted to do, uh, ask you, Bob, and, and mm-hmm. I know the answer, but uh, I just want other, everybody else to know. So you're a true car guy. So oh, yeah. What, what's, what's, what's your collector car, or what's, what's the car you get the most thrill out of driving? Right now, I've got a uh, I've got a 2017 uh, Shelby Mustang GT 350R. All right, and it's got that unbelievable sounding voodoo engine, the flat plane crank, and uh, I I I mean every time I get in that car, you know I have some what's it all? You know how it is. You say, yeah, do I want to keep it? Should I sell it? And then I drive it. It's like there's no way I'm not going to sell this car. I had a, you may remember, we, I had a BMW M5, an E39 M5. I remember. A good friend of mine sold for me. Uh, in retrospect, I kind of wish I had hung on to that, but um, I don't know what's next. I, I, I'm enamored of the new generation Corvettes, um, but I'm not sure that they're bulletproof yet. Um, and, you know, the other thing I would love to get at some point is a is it a genuine World War II vintage Jeep, and um, Wayne's going to help me look for that. I we're going to well, hopefully we're going to take care of that this summer. That's what that's what we hope. Yeah, I that's was at the Grand hoping. National Roadster Show over the weekend, and somebody had just restored a forty-five, so last year Jeep World right. War II Jeep, and it had the smell of the the, the Cosmoline still coming off of it. They had just <laughs> finished it, and it had the yeah. shovel on the side. It had the uh, it had the the, the rifle rack across the dash. Right. It had the fuel canister thing on the back. It had the canvas top up. It had the wipers. This guy had everything totally 100% World War II correct. And there is such a charm to those. I just think that, you know, oh. it, that there's a reason we put it in the movie Cars, right, Sarge? Because yes. yep. we looked at vehicles that had a story. And if you look at the story of World War II, the one vehicle, I think, that that personifies World War II from a vehicle standpoint, even more than a, you know, a... a B-17 or whatever, arguably, yes. or, a, or a Mustang, is the Jeep, right? I mean, yes. the, the enemy forces would love to get the Jeep and then they would, you know, they get rid of their German Cooperwagen and they get the Jeep because he was such a great vehicle. Right. So I hope you find one. Yep. Yep. Wayne's going to help me. Absolutely. So, Bob, thank you for being our guest today. Um, if you had one more thing to say to our audience, what would it be today? Uh, just that I think Jay Ward is an absolute genius. In terms of, I mean, he doesn't get enough credit, but to be able to personify inanimate vehicles and and and, and present them to uh, what I think is a whole new generation of enthusiasts, young people enthusiasts, deserves a lot of credit. And I don't think Jay gets the credit that he warrants in this space. And I'm not just blowing smoke, Jay. I really believe it. It's just like with such a genius move and it continues to work right all of those characters and stuff they still have life and can continue on so i would just say congrats to jay ward thank you thank you to i mean honestly the whole team at pixar that created it but there's more to come for the world of cars that i'll talk about later we have more news to share down the road so nice not done yet i really appreciate you spending some time with us today happy to do it always a pleasure guys
Thanks for All coming, right. Bob. And uh, I guess we need to book our tickets to the Isle of Man together. Yes, That's we do. Right. Let's go. Yes, we do. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I love to keep my cars nice and clean. I use a lot of different products and there's a lot of great stuff out there, but sometimes I can't tell one brand from another what's really good. What's just got a sticker on it. Is it just somebody else's product? You know, how, how do you find the right stuff for your car that, you know, it's just not a bunch of hooey and it's not really going to get your car clean. You know, one, one of the things I've done is, is that I've had the opportunity to work with AutoGeek. Uh, AutoGeek was a company that sold uh, everybody's product online. And Bob McKee, who was the founder and president of that, sold that company um, and moved on and took all that knowledge he gained all these years and selling everybody else's product and, and started developing his own. He maintained his own brand, which was McKee's 37. And I joined the company as a partner um, a few years ago, and we just make the best products that there is, and we have the best knowledge. It's like you say, there's there's some companies that make a generic product, and they color it a little bit differently, and they pop somebody else's label on it, and and it's it, you know it's it's something that hasn't been developed to do the correct job. It's just a, a generic product. That's not the way with McKees. We develop each product on our own. Uh, we just came out with a new product for the seats and the leather on Teslas. So we call it our vegan leather conditioner. Yeah. In fact, so, the new BMW I drove had that same vegan leather in it. That's right. So vegan is the new thing where they're not uh, they're not killing any animals or cows or, or in, in my case, uh, alligators uh, with, with my SS100 Jaguar. But... Um, and, and it's called vegan. So we're, we're staying up with all the products for all the new materials that are being used. Um, glass cleaner. I mean, uh, uh, people think that you can clean your windshield with a normal Windex with yeah. a piece of newspaper. Yeah. It's amazing what you can do with the proper rag and the proper material, you know, spray on and how you how you use it. Yeah. And we have things like a... a, a, a um, polishing stick that gets down in front of your windshield between the dashboard and, and, and yeah. so it's made specifically for cleaning that there's, and there's nothing to me I mean I could the car could be totally dirty to me but if I got a clean windshield and I'm oh, looking out yeah. I look out on things totally different you know the world seems different to me if I'm driving a car with a clean windshield um, so so if I want to get McKee's stuff, do, do you order it online? Can you get it at a parts store? Where do you find the stuff at? Yeah so McKee's37.com um, we sell everything online. Sounds great. Well, I can't believe it, but that's all the time we've got for today. It's sure to go fast, and I really enjoyed speaking with Bob today. Yeah, Bob's got a great vision of automotive television. We can't wait to see what's going to go on with Speed Vision. So uh, have a good time at the F1 race, and I'll see you the next time. All right, see you down the road. Fifty-seven vet, huh? Of course, you got a lens cap from a fifty-six, but you did know that, didn't you? And you got a little bit of a gap over here, and you got a ding in your chrome. God, it hurts me to see that. So now I gotta ask myself, what's under the towel? Duct tape. Duct. Speed Vision Network. Motorheads live here.